So we're going to take a few weeks off from preaching through the book of Proverbs. Um, it's Easter time, so we need to be preaching about things that have to do with the resurrection, that have to do with the coming of our Lord, that have to do with the gospel. We'll pick back, right back up where we left off the week after Easter. <coughs> but today we're going to talk about the simple gospel. What is the gospel? And we're going to pre- preach from probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which is John 3, 16 and 17. What I'm going to ask you guys to do, we don't always do this, but I'm going to ask you guys to do that this week. If you guys would just, if we all could repeat this together as a church before we start, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, no pressure, but we're going to do this, we never do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Awesome, guys. Well, one of the toughest things in Boston culture is to convince people that God is a loving God, that God is a giving God, that God is a rescuing God. And that's really what the Bible is all about. When we see in these verses right here, we see that God so loved the world that he gave his son to rescue us. And there's different ways. People try to understand God in different ways. We either by our own personal experience make assumptions about who God is and what his nature is. And some of us say maybe God is loving. Some of us say maybe God is overly wrathful and strict, and he's not a kind and loving God. We do this from our personal experience. We do it from speculation. You know, we speculate through looking at things. We do it through hearing other people's opinion about God. But the only and the best way to know God, of course, our personal experience helps us through the lens of Scripture to know God. Of course, when we speculate according to the revelation that's given by Scripture, that's a good thing. When people have other um, opinions and teach you that, that's great when it comes to the revelation of the scriptures. That's why we preach from God's word, because it's God revealing, it's not man speculating. And the best way to know who God is and what he is like is to look at what? His son, Jesus. When you look at Jesus, Jesus said, if you see me, you see my father. If you see the way I love people, you know how I love people. If you see the way I laid out my life, you know how I am, that I'm sacrificial. If you see that I'm giving, if this God the Son's given, then God the Father is given. We see the nature of who God is in the Son. And the only way to be reconciled with God, to be in relationship with God, is through the person and the work of Jesus. So we have to go there, we have to look at that, to know God, to be reconciled with God, and to know God is love. Because when you look at the cross, when you experience the gospel rightly, the only conclusion you come to is that God is love, that God is giving, and that God is a rescuing God. See, many times I invite people to church. And when I say invite them to church, I'm not just saying on Sunday mornings, even though this is a great thing to come to church, <coughs> it's an awesome thing, it's a privilege to come together as people who believe in Jesus or people who are asking questions about God and to worship Jesus, to hear from the Word. That's an awesome thing. But the church is really a community of people. The church is really people. 
So it's not this building, even though we meet here. The church is a people who believe a certain gospel. So when you invite people to church, you're inviting them, hoping not only that they come and attend, but they start to believe this gospel and hope in this God and receive this Savior and see their life transformed by Jesus. Right? That's what you're hoping with people. It's more like in a... The church is like an emergency room. You know, a lot of people think wrongly about the church. They think, get your life together. Then come be part of a people who are a church who believe a gospel. No. Imagine at the emergency room, you broke your leg, right? And you came to the emergency room. They said, go home and fix your leg, come back, and we'll take care of you. What's that all about? The church is a bunch of broken sinners, all of them, starting with the pastor, who are coming together to hear the gospel of a perfect God who did what we could not do on our behalf. It's not about what you have to do to be in favor with God. It's about what Jesus has done so you are in favor with God. And when that happens, life's a change. That's why I invite some people and they say, no man, I'm going to get struck by lightning. They think God is a door greeter in this church. And he's literally, you watch and just, shouldn't, take, shouldn't have took the invite. Or they think the church is going to burn down. You ever hear that one? They think somehow we're going to put their picture and their name up there in a church event called Stoning right after church. Because they don't see that God is a loving, giving, rescuing God. And that's what I want us to see today, just a simple gospel. The simple gospel is the most powerful thing that will transform your life. And I want us to hear it for those who believe and those who don't believe, to hear this powerful gospel Today, So let's start with this point, that God is love. Because <clears throat> some people would have a beef with that. This is a grand and revealing statement because <clears throat> even though you could have come to the conclusion that God loved all people, it doesn't directly say that in the Old Testament. You see God loving a certain people, a covenant people, rescuing them, showing them love, showing them unique love. Think about it. Moses, the Hebrew people are 400 years in slavery. What does he do in a unique way? He provides Moses. He provides the power of his hand. He leads the people out. And if you came out of that story, you could come to clues that God only loves the nation of Israel. What about the Egyptians? Does he love them? David comes out to cut, right? He throws down Goliath. Defeat the Philistines over and over again. You might come out of that saying, oh, he definitely loves his covenant people. But does he love the Philistines? And that goes over and over and over and over again. So this is a grand statement that God loves the world. Not only does he love his covenant people, but he loves all the people of the world. He loves every person made in his image. He is loving God. So there's a lot of talk about Noah right now because a movie came out, right? So I don't want to get into that whole controversy, but I just want to talk to you about Noah so you get the importance of Noah here. If you look at the story of Noah and you see only a God of judgment, you have missed the whole story. The earth was in possibly the most wicked state it had ever been. It said God was sorry that he made the earth. Do you understand how much wickedness, violence, hate, sin must have been going on for God, the perfect God, to say, I'm sorry I made this. Because man's killing each other, they're using each other, they're violent, and their minds on wickedness all the time. 
But this loving God doesn't say, I'm going to wipe everything out. He says, I'm going to provide a way for salvation. And I'm going to save a family who will continue the human race. Now, if you thought it was only just for Noah and his family, you missed the story too. Because even from the beginning, you look at Adam and Eve, right? You look at man cast out because he rebelled against God. What happened that we talked about a few times? God proclaimed the gospel for the first time. He said, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of Satan, who's going to reconcile my children back to myself. If he had wiped everything out, there wouldn't have been Jesus. The whole point in that story is he's saving the people who ultimately the Messiah, the Savior, God himself would be born in to save his people. The whole story is about saving Jesus, who would then save humanity, who would then bring glory to Jesus, who would then be loved by their God. You guys understand me? When I bring my kids to the Bible, when I go to the Bible, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when he thought the Bible was all about laws and it was all about you can't do enough to please God? What did he say to the Pharisees? And they were supposedly knew the scriptures better than everyone. They said, look at this scripture, Jesus. They were telling the Son of God he didn't do Imagine. Imagine the religious leaders, they're funny. Jesus, you're doing this wrong. The God, man, never sinned. This ain't right. You're not doing this right. Why do you act like that? Why do you have that attitude? What does he say to them? He said, you missed the whole point in the scriptures. The scriptures were all about me. The story of Noah was about me. The story of Adam and Eve was about me and how I would have come and I would rescue. The story of Moses was about me, how I would deliver all humanity just like Moses delivered the people out of Egypt. On and on, the whole book of the Bible is about a loving God who rescued and who gave his son for his people. Everywhere you go, when we do worship with our kids, I ask my kids, we, we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah this week. Can I find God's grace in that story? And I'm thinking, man, I could ask, where do you see God's grace in the story of Sodom? Yeah, when he wiped out that city, how did he see his grace? <laughs> he said, well, he, Abraham prayed a bunch of times and said, if there's anyone righteous in this city, I, I won't do this. Over and over again, God kept giving chances, and he even redeemed Lot, you know, and his family. So you see God's grace and his love over and over again. Now he's a holy God. He can't laugh at sin. He has to judge sin. But he's always as a loving God offering a way of redemption. He's love. Now he's not. This isn't a sentimental love. You know, people say they love you, but their actions never follow. That's not a mature love. That's not a perfect love. Uh, love does not start and end with a feeling. It might start with a feeling, but it always ends with action. This God did just not say he loved us. He followed it with the greatest action humanity has ever seen. Giving his only son to die for the sins of the world. You've got to understand who Jesus is. He's God's only son. He's eternally existing. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is God. But God the Father sends God the Son to suffer for our sin because he's that loving he gives. Now, I don't know, for those of us who are parents, one of the worst things that you go through as a parent is watching your child suffer. My daughter, Kara, is absolutely reckless. She thinks that running doesn't involve your arms. You know, she just runs. There's no arms involved. She misses every doorpost. It doesn't. I've been in the emergency room twice this year. And it just doesn't matter. You think she'll come out of there and she'll settle down? I just come in and she's like swinging off something just like. And I'm like, Kira. I'm like teach, trying to teach her stuff because she, she just falls and doesn't use her hands. It's just like direct face to the ground. And she's like, 
And I'm like, Kara, these, use these things. Come on. She just doesn't get that. So I say to myself, and being a little superstitious, okay, she's had two emergency room visits. There's no way there's going to be another one, unless you're one of those people who believe it happens in threes, right? But I'm saying, okay, I won't have to go back to the emergency room for a while, right? This past week, I didn't have to go back to the emergency room. This past week, you think everything's settled down. It's about 8 o'clock. I'm like, okay, we're good. We made it through another day. All right, let's get these kids in bed. Let's start it over tomorrow. I'm in the hallway. I had one of the loudest bangs ever. Natalie goes, oh, no. And when it's really bad, Natalie just stands there from a distance and said, I can't even go over there right now because this is going to be bad. She, I just saw Kara sitting there in front of the table holding her head on her knees, and I said, there's trouble in paradise right now. And I just went to look at her face because I'm thinking, I'm going to turn around because she, she whacked her forehead, and Natalie yelled and must have saw a piece of it, so I said, here we go. And I'm thinking, I'm going to see her face, and there's just going to be a gash all the way across, right? I'm like, this kid. I turn around. There's no gash, but there's like a three-inch dent in her head with the bruise, and I'm just like, Natalie literally went, oh, and didn't look, leaves me there. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. I'm putting ice on it, but I'm telling you, it looked like a legit dent. I'm like, we got a dent. She's going to have a dent. We're going to have to use some makeup. You know? <laughs> but to watch a kid's stuff, and she's yelling, and she's screaming, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, did she break her skull? I don't, as a parent, you just don't know. So much stuff goes through your head. I got the ice on her. Thank God everything was okay. But watching her go through that kind of suffering as a parent, it's a nightmare. Like, I can't, I'd rather, like, grab that table, whack me over the head right now. I can't deal with this, right? Amplify that times infinity. What God the Father, giving up his perfect son to suffer at the hands of sinners. So he's not even dying for good people, right? Maybe you would, you know, maybe if he died for good people that you'd understand, but he's coming and he's dying while we're still sinners. And Instead of welcoming the Son of God who's come to rescue us with open arms or pinning him to him cross, spitting on him, flogging him, beating him, crushing him, tormenting him, right? What parent in here would give your child to suffer for this world? How many parents love the world and people so much in this world that you would stand by and watch your child suffer? How about watch them spit on and ridiculed? Would you just stand by and let them be spit on and ridiculed because you love people in this world so much? How about watching them be murdered in front of you? in the most humiliating way possible. Could you stand by because you love people in this world that much? No, we couldn't. But God is that loving that he did that. That he did that on our, for us. Now, ultimately, we know he's a loving father, and there's some big theological question that opened up. That he was a loving father, and he allowed Jesus to suffer those things and go through those things because he would be given the name above all names. You know, and he would have a glory like no others, and all things would be brought together through his son Jesus, and we would be worshiping him for this salvation and for this suffering on our part. But it shows you the love of God that he allowed, and he gave the thing that was most precious to him because he loved us so much. So we got a loving God, we got a giving God, and we got a rescuing God. Now, this is another thing that's hard to get through in the greater Boston culture, right? You tell people, you need to be saved. And they're like, saved from what, dog? Come on, get it together. Saved, you're talking to Astro. You tell people that God needs to rescue them, and they're like, that, that's crazy talk. Rescue from what? My life is good. 
This is because we, we miss some essential things that God has revealed. And just because we don't recognize them as truth does not mean they're truth. They're not truth. Do you know what I mean? Something's truth whether we believe it or not because God establishes truth, not us. But he does reveal us to us in a gracious way what is truth so we can know God, experience God, and, and be freed by God. So the first thing in our culture, just took a few notes here, I was thinking through it. We don't believe there's such thing as sin anymore. There's mistakes. There's weaknesses. There's failures, but there's no such thing as sin anymore. So we toss that out, right? Because there's no such thing as sin. But God would define sin as any way of breaking God's law in thought, attitude, or action. There is such thing as sin, but we don't see this sin. Secondly, we don't see ourselves as sinners, right? The guy who's murdering and robbing places, man, he's a sinner. But we seldom come back to that place as a culture, as a whole. Maybe many of us do. As a culture, we, we think that the, the sinners are the people who are serial killers and robbers. That, that doesn't hit home. Yet the Bible teaches us that every one of us is a sinner. And there's not one who is righteous. And there's only one who is righteous, and that is Jesus. Thirdly, in our culture, because we don't believe there's sin, because we don't believe we're sinners, we don't believe there's consequences for sin. Because how could there be consequences if there's not none of the two prior things? Yet the cross shows us deeply that there are consequences for sin. That sin is that serious that God's own son had to be pinned to a cross because sin is that serious. That he at that moment experienced the wrath of God the Father on himself so that we didn't have to experience. That's how, experience it. That's how serious sin is. There's sin we're sinners, there's consequences, and God will judge all those who reject him, don't accept him, his love, and his sacrifice. This is what God has revealed. There's judgment and there's wrath for those who reject a graceful and gracious God. And fourthly, we don't understand exactly what happened on that cross. That's why we don't understand that God rescued us, and we don't, I mean, many of us do, but I'm talking as a culture here. Let's speak to a culture. Many of us don't understand the depth of salvation, because we don't understand exactly what happened on that cross. We think that, oh, what happened on the cross? God forgave my sins. Yes. What happened on the cross? God just showed he's loving. What happened with Jesus' life? Oh, he showed me an example on how to live. Yeah, all those things are true. All those things are true. That's a facet of what happened on the cross. But because there is sin, because we are sinners, because there is consequence with the wrath of God, all that wrath had to be poured out and someone had to be punished for it. It's supposed to be you and me. We're supposed to be punished. Because I'll tell you one thing. In the past, I was a filthy sinner. In the present, I'm a filthy sinner. In the future, I'm going to be a filthy sinner. No matter how good and how much I change, there's still going to be areas of my life that God needs to get to and change in my heart and my mind. We deserve that punishment on a cross. We deserve that punishment. But what does this loving, giving, rescuing God do? He puts his son in our place. Since Jesus became a propitiation, that means the object of God's wrath on our behalf on the cross. It means all those filthy sins that no one even knows about in your life, that was put and Jesus was punished for that. In all the beautiful, perfect life of Jesus, 
is now imputed to you. So now when God looks at you, you have perfect favor with God because of the work of Jesus because he paid the price that was ours and it is finished. Is that amazing? That's what we're saved for. We're saved from sin and the consequences of sin because of Jesus. That's why we come in here and worship him. Now what does it say that's the key in that verse? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now whoever believes... That's justification by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone. So it's all grace. This is one of the toughest things you get to people. Because what do we do as sinners, right? We think, oh yeah, God's gracious and I'll take that grace initially, but then I got to earn it, right? Then I got to be good enough. So we take that verse and we add other stuff in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever is good enough will have eternal life. Right? We like to switch it out. So then we waste our life. Oh, I'm good this week. Oh, I wasn't good yesterday. Oh, I'm good. I'm going to be good in April. It's Easter. Right? Then we fall short. Oh, for God so loved the world that he gave us an only son that whoever does enough charitable deeds will inherit the eternal life. Listen, do charitable deeds. That's not going to earn your salvation because the only thing that could put you back in right standing with God is the work of his son, Jesus. How about the last one? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever is holy enough will have eternal life. People like to add that on to salvation. How holy do you have to be to earn favor with God? I'll give you the answer. As holy as Jesus was, and we can't do it. That's the answer. See, people try to add stuff. And there's a great book called The Gospel Plus Nothing Equals Everything. We try to say, the gospel plus good works equals favor with God. Or the gospel plus holiness equals favor with God. Or the gospel plus charitable deeds. Or the gospel if I don't watch this. Or the gospel if I don't do that. Or the gospel if I eat like this. Or the go- And it just keeps going. It's all grace. I need you guys to hear that today. We have been saved by grace so that no man may boast. It's a gift from God. All you must do is believe. Now this is so crucial for you guys to hear this. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've been following Jesus for about 16, almost 17 years. I'm 36 tomorrow. Um, and God changed my heart. He rescued me. He awoke my heart to the truth of who he was and what Jesus did on my behalf. And I understand grace, grace to a point, but I didn't understand it to the point that I felt free in my walk with God. I'm serious. I lived in such condemnation about not living up with my behavior to God, that every week I was on my knees getting saved again. <laughs> right? I wasn't good enough. You have favored me. Am I going to experience the wrath of God? Is this going to happen? The turmoil I went through was nothing nice. But about five years ago, I was actually listening to a message that talked about, it was about pastoral calling. I shared this guys before, because I never felt like, and I still don't, that I'm, and I never will be good enough to be a pastor. I don't feel that. I don't wake up and say, man, I'm, I'm called because I am that man. <laughs> There's none of that in me. I call and say, man, I, this is crazy. Right? And this, one of my good buddies who has been a big influence on my life was preaching a message. He passed another church, and he said, you will never be qualified enough to lead God's people. He said, it's your, his grace that qualifies you. That he chose you before you were even born to know him. That he's been with you throughout your whole life showing you 
himself and showing you favor and protecting you and knowing you. It's all grace. Even that moment of salvation, that was his grace. Even that moment of calling. Even that moment of knowing, it's all grace. And I began weeping like a man in my office. And I said, it's so true. But what ended up happening there was my behavior changed more in the last five years than it changed in the past 11 years because now I was no longer saying I need behavior modification. I was saying I need the gospel of grace. And when that hits my heart, my behavior changed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not going to get everyone up here, beat God, you have one beat God, you're being bad. I'm going to say Jesus is good. He died on your behalf. He died because you weren't good enough. And that truth and that rehearsal and that knowing of God will change you. That's why Jesus said, him who has an ear, let him hear. Because you're preaching to people, whoever wants to hear this, whoever knows God, whoever is going after God, whoever is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you preach grace, they will change. They will lean towards holiness. We need to hear about the grace of God because that's what the cross is shouting out. That he's a loving God. When you go back to that, that will change your life. Restoration Road, don't live in condemnation. Jesus outed you on the cross. You're a sinner. He outed all of us. We're sinners. But when you come to that truth, and you're at the foot of that cross, and the Holy Spirit is reminding you of that, you're going to look back in a few years and say, what happened to me? I had no idea when I started following Jesus that I was going to follow him as uh, passionately as I was. You know what happened? God gives us a new heart. You start getting desires you didn't even know you were going to have. I'm like, what the heck happened? I used to do this and not even be convicted about it. Why do I feel bad about this sin I'm involved in? And then God changes your heart. Am I really coming and singing songs at a church? I didn't think I'd ever sing. I didn't think I'd ever be happy. Am I really hungry to be in the Word? Do I really want to be around church? Did God really change my heart? He gives you new desires, new affections. God saves us. He rescues us. It's all grace. Please hear that. Now, the gospel is for all of us who believe, but it's, it's also for us who don't believe. I don't know who believes here and who doesn't. I know some of you do. Maybe some of you are asking questions. I plead with you today. I plead with you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Today I do. You know, we don't know if we have tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare you. You probably do have tomorrow. You know, but salvation, knowing God, this happiness, this joy, this, this satisfaction that comes of being in favor with God for the work of Jesus is not something you want to postpone. It's something you want to experience today. And that's only by believing. So I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus today. Repent of your sins. But it starts with God's grace, leads to repentance. Enjoy the Easter celebration. We'll dunk you nice. <laughs> and finally, this simple gospel, this powerful gospel, this loving God, this giving God, this rescuing God, this message is not something that's meant to be hidden under your bed. It's not something that's meant not to be said. The gospel calls for our words. It calls for our actions. Share it with your friends. Now, you don't have to act weird. You really don't. If they're your friends, just be yourself. Just be yourself. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is the story of God. Very simple. This is my story, how it fits in. 
You can't make anyone believe. But the Bible teaches us that as the church, as children of God, we're called to give what they call, the big theological word is the effective calling. That means how they know unless it's preached to them. Share the story of your own testimony. Share the story of what we just taught in very simple ways, that God loves the world, that he gave his son, what happened on the cross. Talk to people. People make their own decisions. But just be yourself. The best evangelism, just don't hide who you are. Be yourself. You don't have to be someone else. Be who you are. Share your story. And you'll be amazed what God does in people's hearts. You'll be absolutely amazed. Amen?